You're listening to Lore and Legend, the Halloween specials. This is the tale of Jack of the Lantern. It's Samhain night, it's Halloween, it's All Souls Day, so listen to me. Do you know why it became the custom, here in Ireland and the British Isles, to carve a turnip with a grinning, horrid face, drop a candle inside and make it into a lantern? It's to keep him away, the mad one they call Will of the Wisp, Jack of the Lantern. He wanders the marshes, the heaths and the hills at night. He sits on the cow sheds and drinks the milk the shepherds leave out for him. He visits all the places where the devil keeps his coins. He moves our landmarks and our milestones in the night and leads travellers over the marshes astray with his guttering torch. And they lose themselves and perhaps their lives in the dark, just like he did once himself. And the sound of his mad laughter and cries can be heard in the wind's cold howling. So people started to make their own torches, hobbity lanterns or jackalites, and stay within their ring of fire so that if Jack ever tried to come close, he would be presented with the picture of his own terrible and twisted face, and carry himself off crying and howling into the night, and all the other evil imps and spirits that he is chief over too. And so when the Irish went over to America, they started carving these faces into pumpkins, and the Yanks sent their pumpkins back over here, to us. But how did this evil creature even come to be? What is the story of Jack and his lantern? Have you never heard the tale of Jack and the devil? <laughs> of the devil and black-hearted Jack? Black Jack was a rogue, a liar, a cheat and a drunk, whose name was reviled and feared all around. He consorted with crooks and thieves, he used to practice the art of hobbity in aid of shipwrecking. He attached a lantern to a lame mule and marched it up and down the beach so that anyone looking towards the shore would see a light imitating the sloping gate of small ships and thereby he'd draw the ships onto the rocks 
where they spilled their cargo into the tide and onto the sands where Black Jack and his friends waited. With the proceeds of their crimes, Jack hardly needed to keep a profession. Though he kept the trade of a blacksmith, his smithy was usually dead cold and the door chained. Instead, he could be found most of the time drinking away his money until every last sovereign was spent. One day, when Jack was coming home, his money having run out, and him so being far too sober for his liking, his first was still raging. And he exclaimed, by the moon, by the devil, I'd sell my soul for a drink. And there was a crackle, and a hiss, and a sour whiff of sulphur, and standing there amidst a circle of guttering embers was old Nick himself. Jack, my old friend, I couldn't help but overhear what was it that you said? I said, I'd sell my soul to the devil if I could get a drink. I'm only happy to oblige, Jack. But my pockets are far deeper than that. How does seven years of power and fortune strike you before I come to take you? Well then Jack the smith swore his soul for a fortune in the devil's coin. And when he returned home and unlocked the doors to his smithy, there lay his bounty in gleaming gold sovereigns by the side of his anvil. And Jack's heart was filled with glee, for he was far richer now than the other cutthroats and villains with whom he kept company. And so Jack began to party hard. And often the time that Jack would hold court in his smithy, the bellows would be blown up so that all might sit around the fire and eat and drink, and fairly quickly Jack became the toast of all the town. And one night, in amongst all the hangers-on that surrounded Jack, an old beggar came into the smithy, who looked near to starving, and he asked if Jack might spare some food. Now Jack was very generous when he was in money and drink and wine, and so he fed him and invited him to sit with them at the fire. But when he looked for the beggar again later that evening, he had vanished. He did not reappear again until some months later. He appeared at the smithy once more and Jack treated him just the same, but again he vanished. Another few months passed and afterwards the old beggar again appeared. Come in, come in, said Jack, and after he had eaten and drunk his fill, the beggar said, Well, Jack, men have said to me that you were the, the blackest heart that they had ever seen in these parts, and so I had to come and see it myself. But here I find three times you have been good and kind to me, and so, what if I give you three wishes? And whatever you wish will be sure to come true. Ah, well then, said Jack, I I need time to think. Then I'll come to you tomorrow, the old beggar said. But mind that they are good wishes, Jack. But you know, Jack could play the gregarious host, but this appearance of goodness was only skin deep. 
Jack's heart was still as black as the coal in the bucket by the foot of his forge, and while the old man went away, the wicked machinery of Jack's mind was turning around those free wishes. And by the time the old man returned next morning, Jack knew exactly what to ask for. Well, the old man said, what are your wishes? Mind that they be good. And Jack grinned at the man blackly, and he placed his hands on the shaft of the sledgehammer that rested on the edge of his anvil. My first wish is that whoever lays his hands on this hammer will keep on striking this anvil over and over without breaking it until I tell them to stop. Oh, said the old man, that, that's a bad wish, Jack. Oh, no laughed Jack. You will see it's good. The next thing I wish for is a purse that whatever I put into it cannot be taken out again without my saying. Oh, Jack, the old man said. That was a bad wish as well. Be very careful about the third one. Well, said Jack, out there through the door is an old apple tree. And I wish that anyone who touches it will be stuck there fast until my saying that they can go. And the old man's face was very grim. Those were all very bad wishes, Jack. Oh no, smiled Jack. Just you wait and see. I'll make those wishes turn out for the good. And seven years had passed, and Jack had spent every last one of the devil's coins, but he continued to prosper, for black-hearted Jack would take an apprentice, and set them to work with the hammer and the smithy, and they could not stop working, though he never paid them a crown. And if something valuable went missing in the town, and Jack's place was searched, even if they thrust a hand inside his purse, they could never take anything out to inspect it. And if the mayor or the parson or the magistrate ever had cause to visit Jack, he wouldn't speak with them until they swore their honesty on the trunk of his apple tree, and he would not release them until he had some sort of agreement from them. Now it was the conclusion of the seven years, all but three days, but Jack, that wily fox, he was ready. He was inside the smithy making a pair of horseshoes, when there was a crackle, and a hiss, and a sour whiff of sulphur, and old Nick appeared in the doorway. And he grinned at Jack, and he extended his hand. Come now, Jack. We've ways to go, you and I. And Jack, he drew back from the forge, and he drew a hand over his brow, and said, Aye, that we do. And I'll just fetch my boots, but give those shoes their last strokes with the hammer, and I'll be right with you. So the devil seized the sledgehammer from Jack, and he gave the horseshoes one stroke, and then another, and another, and another, and of course old Nick found he could not stop striking the shoes, but kept on going. And Jack, 
he laughed a bellyful, and he bolted shut the smithy door, and he left old Nick in there for three days. And all through those three days and three nights, the steady crash of the hammer on the anvil could be heard, and a hellish glow peeked under the door, and the terrible cries and curses escaped through the cracks in the boards. And all the people thereabouts, they gave that place a white berth. At the end of three days, Jack returned and threw open the doors of the smithy to find the devil sweating and cursing over the anvil. Jack, he hissed, a fine trick you played on me. Let me go. And what will you give me to let you go free? Asked Jack. Seven more years, and twice the fortune, and two days grace for doing what you will, the devil said. Well, Jack agreed, and the devil vanished quickly away. But all Jack had to do was make a wish for five or ten pounds, and in a flash of fire, they'd appear before him in his hand or in his tankard. So once more, Black Jack returned to his crooked ways, to his drinking and his gambling. Till in the space of seven years he had run down all of his fortune again. And it was one night when he was in the local tavern that he wished for his last five pounds. And when it was all spent, there was a crackle. And a hiss. And a sour whiff of sulphur. And old Nick was standing by him at the bar. And he grinned at Jack and extended his hand. Come now, Jack. The time has come. And we have a ways to go of you and I. And Jack raised his cup and drank it down. Then he patted his pockets. And he said, aye, we have. And I'll come soon enough, but I've spent all your coin, devil. And I owe this man a sovereign for the last round of drinks. I'm no fear, Jack. I'll handle this, said the devil. And he turned himself into a golden sovereign to pay for the drinks. But the moment that he did, Jack flipped the coin up and into his purse. And of course the devil, he could not get back out again without Jack's say-so. So Jack rushed home and he flung the purse down on his anvil and he began to beat it with his sledgehammer until the devil cried out, How much now, said Jack, if I let you go? Seven more years, three times the money in one day's breast for doing what you will. The devil cried, and Jack agreed. And Jack took the sovereign out of his purse and he threw it into the river. And then he carried on worse than he ever had before. He gambled, he drank, he raced. And before the seven years was out, he had spent three times the fortune that he had done before. And on the last day before the seven years were up, as Jack was walking home, the black crows landed on the branches of the trees, and small devilish creatures skittered through the undergrowth, and they chirped and they chanted to each other as Jack went by, 
They said Jack and the devil, the devil and Black Jack. And Jack went into his yard. And standing there between his gate and his smithy door was the devil, old Nick. And he looked more angry and more evil than he had ever done before. And when he turned around, he pointed at Jack and he cried, I've come for you, Jack, and this time there's no escape. It's a long journey from here to where you're going. Aye, said Jack, I do believe it. And he pointed towards the tree that stood just to the side of the devil. But if the way is so long, I'll need something to give me strength to finish the journey. Unless you want to carry me into hell. Why don't you reach me down one of those fine apples? And the devil hissed, and he turned, and he leapt up for one of the apples. But as soon as his claws touched one of the low-hanging branches, he was caught fast. And Jack, he dashed inside the smithy, and when he came out again, he was wielding a red-hot pair of tongs, which he used to lash the devil's swinging legs and backside. And the sound of the devil's screams could be heard for miles around, and they drew all the people of the town who surrounded Jack's yard, their mouths wide, their eyes as wide as saucers at what they saw, and all of them began to whisper. And then they began to shout, Jack and the devil, the devil and Black Jack. Then Jack took hold of the devil's nose with the tongs, and he began pulling out the devil's nose. The devil screamed, but the tongs kept steaming, and Jack kept pulling it out longer and longer, like it was made of soft iron until it reached down past the devil's own toes. And the devil he yelled, and he snorted fire. He screamed, and he cursed at Jack in all the infernal tongues of all the black sayings of hell, but Jack kept right on there in the sight of all, until at last the devil, he cried out in submission. Jack, what will it take for you to let me go? Only one thing, Jack's voice boomed out for all in the yard to hear. I am to live all of my life without you, and my fortune to last me all of that time. And at once the devil swore, and he vanished, leaving Jack standing under the apple tree, wreathed in smoke. Everyone in the darkness around him, crept away. For if they had been wary of Jack before, all of them feared him now. From that time forward, Jack was rich beyond any man's counting. He could squander all the money he liked all the remaining days of his life. He was feared, and he was hated, and any man who crossed Jack came to an awful end. 
But the blackness of Jack's spirit crept into his bones in the end, until his soul and his body were both so corrupt that Jack gave up his ghost, and he went up from the grave. When his ghost set out on its journey, first he came to the gates of heaven, and he was met by the face of a man that was familiar to Jack. It was the face of the old beggar who had granted him the free wishes. My friend, said Jack, don't you remember me? I am Jack, the blacksmith, the man who gave you food and drink all of those years ago. But the old man looked at him sternly. Don't you know who I am, Jack? I am Saint Peter. And I was sent to visit you all those years ago because the Lord heard that you were an evil man. But you treated me kindly, so I gave you a chance to change your life for the good. But your wishes were all bad, Jack, and now these gates are barred to you forever. So Jack went on from there until he came to the gates of hell. And when he knocked on the door, someone opened a hatch in the gate and asked his name. And he said, I am Jack, the blacksmith. And as soon as the devil heard Jack's name, he barred the door and he railed and he cursed at him. Away with you, Jack. He cried. We'll not have you here in hell, Jack. Turn away and don't come back. Jack looked behind him, over his shoulder, into the howling blackness, the endless waste, the void that stretched across the earth between heaven and hell, and he turned back, gasping. But it's so dark out there, and so cold, how will I find my way? So the devil quickly fetched a burning coal from the fires of hell, pulled down the turnip by its root in the ceiling, hollowed it out and dropped the coal inside, and then he pushed this lantern out of the hatch into Jack's outstretched hands. And Jack was forced to turn away, and wander back out into the wilds of night to roam the earth without rest, with only the light of that single glowing coal to see by and to warm his ghostly bones. And this is the reason why Jack is called Jack of the Lantern, who haunts over the hills and the heaths and the pools and the bogs, who works on us now his evil pranks, driven mad by the cold and the dark and the loneliness, his only joy, his only pleasure, is to lead other souls into treachery and danger. In some of the old stories, that blacksmith was not called Jack, but Billy or Willie, and so when he left hell he was called Will of the Wisp, which in the old parlance means Will of the Torch. A lost soul is Jack, and forever he will be. This is the tale of Jack and the Devil. The Devil 
and blackjack. Scottish play Macbeth in lore and legend, The Warlock.